And we're looking at the fifth seal this morning in the book of Revelation. Going through the book of Revelation. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 6. In verse 9. Revelation 6 verse 9. And when he opened the fifth seal I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held and they cried with a loud voice saying how long O Lord holy and true dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth and white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season. Until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your awesome word today. We pray God that you would open it up to us, reveal it to us. We need to hear your word, your voice, God, to us in this hour. We thank you for the opportunity to look at things to come, Jesus, in the book of Revelation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, you may be seated. What we're going to be looking at here this morning is the persecution of the saints, the upcoming persecution of the saints. The Bible tells us when this fifth seal is opened up, that under the altar we see souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So there's going to be persecution that's going to hit this world or hit the church, hit the saints of God in the future. I think it is interesting that last Sunday we uh, did the fourth seal. And that's the last Sunday of the year 2004. This is the first Sunday of the year 2005 and we are studying the fifth seal now I didn't plan that but that's just the way it happened and when you look at 2004 beginning with 2000 then it's you know evident that there's going to be a seven-year cycle 2001 2 3 4 5 6 7 2007 a seven-year cycle was began at the beginning of this millennium Right now, or 2004 would have put you in the midway point of a seven-year time frame, okay? I think it's interesting that Jesus died on the fourth day. We talked about the fourth seal last week. We believe that Jesus died on the fourth day of the week, a Wednesday. And I don't have time to get into all of that and explain that to you, that, you know, that it really didn't happen on so-called Good Friday. Okay, it's not biblical. It's not even a reality. That, that's come to us from tradition, okay? And, and we've taught this before in detail, and again, I'm sure we'll teach it in the future, that Jesus actually died on a Wednesday, okay? And rose on a Saturday uh, evening, okay? Just before the first day of the week. I know that sounds strange to you, but it's biblical. Having looked at that a little bit last week, Jesus dying on a Wednesday, the fourth day of the week, the Lord, I say the Lord, I thought of this, and I don't think I can 
really come up with things too well. But I, so I believe it was the Lord that showed this to me. He said, what happened in this past year that's significant in relationship to his crucifixion on the fourth day? 2004. You, you with me here? You follow my train of thought here? 2004. If he was crucified on the fourth day of the week, a Wednesday, and last year was the fourth year in a seven-year cycle, 2004, what happened last year that is significant in relationship to his death on the cross? The passion of the Christ came out. And it is a huge, huge movie on the death of Jesus Christ. Now, that might seem to you like it's just coincidental, but to me it's not coincidental. That in the fourth year, 2004, we have the passion of the Christ come in. And we, we see a, a major uh, group of people going to see this about the death of Jesus Christ in the fourth year of this millennium. And just at the very close of the fourth year, we see this tsunami hit, which I believe is a picture of what's going to happen in the fourth year of the tribulation period or in the middle of the tribulation week that is going to take place in the future. So I don't believe that these events that are happening are just coincidental and they're just happening, you know like they are. I believe that the passion of the Christ is significant to the fourth day crucifixion. I believe the tsunami uh, hitting, uh, the war, hitting over there in Asia at the close of the fourth year of the, this millennium is significant. Amen. Now having said that, the fifth seal, if the fifth seal, and I'm not saying that we're in the tribulation period right now. Don't get me, don't, don't get me wrong there. But I'm saying though, if the fifth seal is, is opened up here and we're in the fifth year I wonder personally what we're going to see as a church I it's very possible that even this time even though we're not in the tribulation period right now in this fifth year 2005 you're going to see a rise in persecution a rise in persecution against the church of the living God at the same time it's going to be an awesome year for those who know God I know that. I believe that with all my heart. It's going to be a great year. But at the same time, you know, and I was up here the other night, and thank God for the 24-hour prayer chain that we had. I know it was awesome. And we were up here the other night, and I was praying. I was just rejoicing about the coming year, you know, and about what God's going to do in the coming year. And I felt a check in my spirit. It's not going to be all that great worldwide. There's going to be more catastrophe. We, taught, we preached the birth pains of Messiah Sunday night. And when I stepped down off the pulpit, people in church said, did you hear about the tsunami that hit? I didn't know about the tsunami that hit. But we preached on the birth pains of the Messiah the, that's going to bring in the new age and the birth pains of the tribulation period. And I preached that Sunday night. Then we have major catastrophic events hitting the world. I'm telling you, all you got to do is open your eyes. We, we are in the days that are going to see the birth pains of Messiah. I believe with all of my heart. And I've said in times past, I'm not sure if we're that particular generation. But I'm telling you right now in my spirit, I believe that we are the generation that is going to see the seven-year tribulation period spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And I do not believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I believe that for years. I don't, I don't believe it. Uh, I'm convinced, totally convinced that the church is going to be here in the tribulation period in the seven-year tribulation period, and I'm going to prove it to you by this seal judgment today. There's going to be a mass persecution upon the church, okay? 
upon the saints of God. So go back there, please, to this fifth seal, and let's look at this persecution. And the, so the Bible says in verse 9, we need to open the fifth seal, and this is about the fifth year of the tribulation period. As you look at the seven seals in the Word of God, in the book of Revelation, you've got seven seals, then seven trumpets, and then seven bowls of wrath. The seven seals cover the seven years of the tribulation period. Revelation 8 verse 1, the Bible says, When the seventh seal is opened up, then seven angels come forth with seven trumpets. So in the seventh seal is the seven trumpets. And they begin to sound, and they sound in the seventh year of the tribulation period. We'll see that as we study it. One of the trumpets, it lasts at least five months. We know that because men seek death for five months. So we know that that trumpet lasts at least five months. So the seven trumpets cover the last year of the tribulation period. You with me here? So that the seventh seal brings you to the end of the tribulation period. The seven trumpets are in the seventh seal. And the seven bowls of wrath take you post-tribulational. They take you beyond the tribulation. Because the Bible says when the seventh trumpet sounds, or the last trumpet sounds, the Bible says that's at the end of the tribulation period, Matthew 24. Okay? So the seventh trumpet sounds at the end of the tribulation period, and in the seventh trumpet is the bowls of wrath. So if the seventh trumpet is at the end of the tribulation period, then the bowls of wrath are post-tribulational. They're not even a part of the seven years. They are the wrath of God at that time. Last week we talked about the midpoint of the tribulation period. What's going to be happening then. This brings you then. What, am I, what I'm trying to say here is I'm trying to show a little bit of time. That this fifth seal is basically in the fifth year of the tribulation period. In the fifth year of a seven year tribulation period. You with me here? Okay. That doesn't mean that there hasn't been anybody persecuted or died before this point what you see is people who have been persecuted and the Bible says there's a pre-appointed number of people that have not yet died God knows exactly how many there are he knows who they will be they are appointed they are predetermined it's not like you know just how can I put it here just um Random, everything just happening at random without God's control. God knows who's going to die. He knows who's going to be persecuted. It's a, a number that God has established. That God has appointed. Do you understand what I'm telling you here? Okay. Now, who that is, I don't know. If that's me, if that's you individually, I don't know. Because the Bible doesn't tell me who it is. Specifically. Okay. But it could be me. And it could be you. That we're reading about here in Revelation 6 verses 9 through 11. Okay. I do believe it is the church. Praise the Lord. So the Bible says when this fifth seal is open. He says he sees under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. And for the testimony which they held. So in this particular seal judgment we see those who have been slain for faithfulness not for unfaithfulness but for faithfulness 
And it says that the, the souls are under the altar. It doesn't say that they're resurrected yet. You got it? They're not resurrected yet. They're not in their body, but their souls are under the altar. Now, typically, brother, would you do me a favor? Go over there and see if you can find my pointer. It's, it's in that one of those drawers over there, I believe, okay? Maybe I can show this to you more clearly. But typically, if you look at the tabernacle, this piece of furniture is talked about here. It's talked about the souls under the altar. What altar are we talking about? Well, you've got to go back and you've got to look at the tabernacle to understand altars. Now, I'm going slow for a reason. My, my, my speaking to you and my speech to you is, is measured this morning for a reason, okay? Can you see this up here? Can you see my pointer up here, anybody? Can y'all see this? Here's an altar here in the tabernacle. It's in the outer court. It's called the brass altar. It's a place of sacrifice. Inside of the tabernacle itself in the holy place, about right there, there is an altar called the altar of incense. So you've got two altars in the Old Testament and two altars in the book of Revelation. An altar, the brass altar that speaks of sacrifice, and a golden altar, an altar of incense before the throne of God right here. When you look at this passage, the Bible says these souls are under the altar and they have been slain for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Where are they located? Well, they died bodily at this altar, the brass altar, as a sacrifice unto God. Just as Jesus died on the cross, fulfilling this type here, his body, the church, will also experience an altar of death. So bodily, they died here. Okay? But as far as where they are located in this passage in Revelation, most likely they are located under the gold altar here under the throne because their souls are here they die bodily here but their souls are located here and they are crying out unto God which is a picture of incense offered to God so bodily they died here where are they located? Where are their soul located? Their soul is located underneath the throne or underneath the altar of God, according to Revelation. This speaks of the sacrifice here of death. This speaks of prayer and praise. So we're trying to locate them. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus died. When he died on the cross for you, he died to redeem the whole man body soul and spirit he was slain before the foundation of the world spirit okay he died on the cross bodily and then Hebrews says that his soul was made an offering for sin so Jesus died 
body, soul, spirit. Okay, you with me here? To redeem the whole man, body, soul, and spirit. In the spirit, he died before the foundation of the world. He was made an offering for sin in his soul realm, the Bible says. Not just his body realm, but his soul realm. And then, of course, we know he was crucified bodily on the cross. So, when you look at this then, this type and shadow of the Old Testament, this brass altar, it's a picture of his bodily death here on the cross. And I believe also his soul death, okay? But we proceed up into here, and I believe this is where the souls are located after the bodily death. Okay. So they've been slain in the earth, these saints, as the body of Christ, but their souls are under another altar. And I believe that's the gold altar, the altar of incense, just below the throne. Now, what is significant about that is that Jewish people, Jewish scholarship in particular, for a long time uh, have believed this particular aspect now just because the Jewish people say it doesn't mean I believe it but I believe that it, it lines up with the Word of God so I'm going to share this with you this has to do with the soul of, of your soul and your spirit okay you have a body you have a soul and you have a spirit we are made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. When your body dies, where does your soul go? Well, your soul has to go somewhere until what? The resurrection of the body, when the body reunites with the soul and the spirit. So at death, there's a separation, a physical death, a separation of your soul from your body. And it goes to be with the Lord. Where does it go? Where is it located? Well, this particular passage shows us where the soul goes, where the spirit goes. It goes underneath an altar. Okay? And that altar is right before the throne of God. Now, <clears throat> at least in this particular instance, that's the way it is in Revelation 6. Jewish scholarship, this is located in the Talmud. The Talmud is a, a scholarship on the Bible basically let's just make it simple okay the scripture says uh, or the Talmud says don't get, get me confused don't talk to me please I'm trying to think here and if you start trying to help me teach I have to turn it over to you and let you teach thank you listen to what they said this is what Jewish scholarship says about the soul okay the view is expressed that the soul of man at death is severed from any connection with the body. And its pleasures, it ascends upward and is gathered into the treasure beneath the throne of glory. Now that's what it said right there, didn't it? In Revelation 6. Where it had its pre-existence, pre-existence pre-existence origin in the upper heaven called our vote did you catch that the soul had a pre-existence that's what I've been telling you that your soul predated your birth that your spirit predated your birth 
that your birth is just a manifestation of your creation. Okay? Now, some of you think I'm kind of way out there when I say that. But, I, you know, I'm not making this up. I believe that your spirit, everybody here, including me, your spirit pre-existed your birth. That God created my spirit and he created my soul before I was ever born. And when I was born, he breathed that spirit into that body. And so they teach a pre-existence of the soul. Where our right and judgment and righteousness, the treasure of life, the treasure of peace, the treasures of blessing, the souls of the righteous, the spirits and souls yet to be born. That, that they're located in that treasure place. This is where the people go back to when they die. They go back to God. Ecclesiastes 12 says, when you die, your spirit goes back to God who gave it. Which means if it goes back to God, that means it was with God before he put it in the body. So he puts your soul and your spirit into your body. And at death, your soul goes back to God who gave it. Okay. But there are people that are yet to be born that their spirit and soul is still with God. And when, they're, when they come into conception, at the time of conception, and that body begins to develop, God breathes into that body the spirit. The moment of conception. He breathed that spirit that already pre-exists the body. Into the body. Okay? All right. So anyway, they locate the, the place of the departed spirit of the soul of man at death in a treasure place just underneath the throne of God where people who are yet to be born, where their spirits are also located with God. So, so now maybe at least having given that to you, you don't think I'm completely, a, you know, cultic. That I'm teaching you some kind of strange, you know, things. These things are not strange. They're biblical. I believe they're biblical. Okay? So I'm giving that because when we get in the book of Job and I start talking about these things, how Job was there when God created the heavens and the earth, you know, so you don't freak out on me. Okay. But let's deal with this particular passage here about the persecution that's going to take place when that soul is separated or severed from the body and goes to a place, the Bible clearly says, under an altar. And there they cry unto God, how long? Oh, Lord. Now watch this. Go back to your Bible, please. He opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. It's interesting to me that the word slain there is the same word that's used in Revelation chapter 5 concerning the, the lamb that was slain from, uh, for us. So that what happened to Jesus' body on the cross is going to happen to his body the saints, the church. Now, when we die, we're not dying for our sins. Only Jesus can die for your sins. But you being the body of Christ will experience, and I don't know who all that's going to entail, but you may experience individually a crucifixion or a dying, a slain, just like Jesus' body on the cross. You are his body. Do you understand? And it says that these souls here under the altar. And they were slain what for? For the word of God. 
and for the testimony which they held. They're slain for the truth. They're slain for the truth and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. What is that testimony? Well, John was cast out on the Isle of Patmos. Go to Revelation 1 9. How many of y'all would agree that John is a part of the church? And I say he is a part of the church. He's long since gone on. I'm talking about the apostle John. But clearly he was a part of the church, right? Well, Revelation 1 and 9. Okay, we're going to pick up speed here a little bit. Hope that you're with me at this point. And I, John, all, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience, perseverance of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos. What for? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So these people are going to be slain for the same reason that John was cast out on the island for. For the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. For the truth and for the testimony of Jesus. What is the testimony of Jesus Christ? That he is God. That's why the early church. That's why they put the early church to death and persecuted the early church. Because they said Jesus is Lord. They said Jesus is God. So the testimony of Jesus Christ in its most important aspect is that they believed that Jesus was God and they said Caesar is not and as a result of that because they said Jesus is the Lord Jesus is God they were put to death by the thousands especially in the in the second third uh, century AD under Diocletian heavy persecution took place upon the church major persecution so persecution has always been a part of the church Okay. God has never promised you or I that we would not suffer martyrdom for him. He has never promised us that we, we, we would be protected from persecution. The early church was persecuted for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And here in Revelation we see in the ultimate fulfillment of things, in the end time, in the completion of things, there's also going to be major persecution on the body of Christ for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. For the truth that they walk in and the testimony that they have about him, that he is the Lord. So these people are going to be, they're going to die. They're going to be slain. The word slain means a violent death. Violent death. That's going to take place. And I know we don't like to face reality, but friend, this is as about as real as it gets. The book of Revelation teaches, along with the other end time books like Matthew 24, etc., Daniel chapter 7, and other books in the New Testament, teach that there's going to be a persecution on the body of Christ, the saints of God. That's reality. Period. Put an exclamation point beside it. That is an exclamation That's a period. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And see, I think a lot of us, we, we want to hold on to the, the hope that there's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture. Because in this seven-year tribulation period, there's going to be great persecution. And we don't want that, you see. See, I think a lot of the, the pre-tribulation viewpoint, the reason why people want to hold on to that so strongly is because they, they want to save their neck. 
That's really what it's all about. See, they don't want to go through any persecution. They don't want to experience any pain. They don't want to suffer anything for Christ. So they hold on to the pre-tribulation rapture viewpoint because they want to save their neck. Now let me just say this. If the pre-tribulation rapture were biblical, we would preach it. Not because we're trying to save our neck. But because it's biblical. But I don't think it's, I don't believe it's biblical. I don't think. I, I, it's just not biblical. Okay. Now having said that, again, a lot of people, boy, they hold on. Why do you want to be raptured before the tribulation period? Why do you want to be taken out? Because, whoo, you're going to be able to escape judgment and, you know. Yeah, well, that's true. We will escape the wrath of God. We won't go through the wrath of God. But the seven-year tribulation period is not the wrath of God worldwide. You understand what I'm saying? In the three, last three and a half years of that tribulation period, that's the wrath of God on Israel. It's going to affect different parts of the world. Amen. But the worldwide wrath, the global wrath of God doesn't happen until after the seven-year tribulation period. I'm going to try to prove it to you this morning if I can, if I get to there. But in the seven-year tribulation, there's going to be worldwide global persecution of the church. Amen. And so I'm just telling you, you've got to get ready for that. Rather, you believe in pre-trib or, you know, if you believe in pre-trib, okay, whatever. Then you've got to get ready for that. If, if it's not pre-trib and you're going to go through a time of persecution, then you and I have got to face reality. We've got to get to a place in God of preparation. That if it requires my life for the word, for the truth... And for the testimony of Jesus Christ that I hold. I have got somewhere to come to reality. Instead of just hoping, you know, that I'm going to save my neck by a rapture. You know, the rapture is going to save my neck. I've got to face the facts at some point. And say, well, number one, may not be a pre-tribulation rapture. And number two, if we're, if we're not raptured pre-trib, and we go in that seven-year tribulation period... That that could mean persecution for me. That could mean persecution for me. Because we have people right here that are slain for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Just like John cast out on the Isle of Patmos for the same reason. These people are slain and John was in the church. How can we say, okay, well that's, that's not the church there. Those are tribulation saints. Well, hello somebody. Tribulation saints are part of the body of Christ. So why, as we as the body of Christ can say, well, that's not us. But there's some other people that's a part of the body of Christ. And that's for them. How can we say that? You know why we say that? That we want to save our neck. And we want to go through this life thinking, man, we're going to be raptured out of here. Praise the Lord. And everything's just going to be wonderful. And no persecution is going to come to us. Well, why would God allow it to happen to them in the past? On a large scale. And then happen to some people that we say is not us in the future. How can we, how can we you know, be so arrogant into thinking you know, that the, the Lord just go to take the church out and, and keep us away from everything else. He's going to let his other part of his body to go through. I'm telling you, the body that's being persecuted right here is the church. 
It's the body of Christ. You know how I know that? Because the church is in the earth in that day. Now this is not going to make you run and shout too much. But it tells us here that these people are people who have been slain for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Uh, the testimony which they held in verse 10 and they cried with a loud voice saying how long O Lord holy and true dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth their souls are in heaven under the altar and they're crying out to God and they're crying out for his wrath to come which means his wrath has not yet come on the earth dwellers and you're already in the fifth seal they're asking for that wrath to be poured out amen the sixth seal announces that wrath and the seventh seal is going to bring in or depict that wrath so it's cried for Amen. Then it's announced and then it comes. But it is not the wrath of God yet at that point. Okay? You understand? So it's clear to me that these people have not been saved from persecution. But they haven't experienced the wrath of God. So even though you might be put to death for Christ doesn't mean you're dying uh, because you did something wrong. These people didn't die for something they did wrong. These people died for something they were doing right. So you've got to change your concept about things. Because if you're taken to prison. Like the church of Smyrna has talked about. They're going to put you into prison for 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death. If you go into prison. And then following that death comes. If you think that that's the wrath of God on you and you're sitting in prison, you're starting to doubt your walk with God. You're starting to doubt your relationship with God because, God, how could I be in prison right here if I wasn't right with you? How could I be going through what I'm going through right now, Lord, if I'm right with you? See, we have a messed up concept. Sometimes we go through suffering not because we've done something wrong, but because we're doing something right. Now, all of us, I'm, I'm just as human as you are, okay? And if they were to come and get me and put me in prison today, and I think I'm going to die tomorrow for my faith in Christ, there would be some warfare going on in my mind and my soul and my spirit. I might be wondering, why, God, are you letting this happen? God, have, have you forsaken me? Why don't you deliver me, Lord? Why don't you help me, God? Why don't you get me out of this, God? I'm fixing to die. What have I done, Lord, to deserve this kind of treatment? So then what do we do? We start, saying, we start questioning our walk with God. These people died because they walked with God truly. We live in an hour and a time where people are in, in, in pulpiteers, and I don't call them pastors. I call them pulpiteers. Who are not preparing the people of God for these things. 
they, they only, they only, listen, they only speak to the, God, uh, to the people of God psychologically. Make them feel good. They are not preparing the, the saints of God for persecution. They're not preparing the church for the tribulation period. In fact, most pulpiteers' psychology is that, well, the people go to church to, to, to have peace. They, they don't want to go to church and, and to be stirred up and to be shaken up and be, you know, told that they could die and be persecuted and suffer for Christ. You know, people go to church because they want peace. Well, you can find peace, but peace is found in a right relationship with God. Peace is found in walking in the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's where you find peace. Peace is living a life of holiness. Peace is living a life that's consecrated and, and living unto God. That's the only place you find peace. It's not me up here bring psychology to the philosophy to make your flesh feel good. And I don't know how many times I've heard that. Well, people go to church, they want to go to hear, have, hear peace. Friend, I go to church to hear the Word of God. I go to church to get right with God. And if I'm not right with God, I don't care how much you try to make me feel good. If I'm not right with God, there is no peace to the wicked. You can't find peace if you're wicked, which wicked means unfaithful. You can't find peace without faithfulness to God. So I could get up there and I'd pat you on the back and smooth everything over and, you know, just preach sugary things and, and all of that to you. And you might leave church feeling good for the moment. But you won't prepare, be prepared for what's going to come. So I just made up my mind a long time ago. Small church, large church middle-sized church makes no difference to me I made up made up my mind a long time ago to preach the truth no matter what it costs no matter if people reject it or receive it I pray they receive it but if they reject it man I'm still gonna preach the truth you understand what I'm telling you most churches today or nothing more than a big glorified club. And, and, and they, you know, they'll take anybody in on their terms, not God's terms. Just so they can have a big clubhouse. I'm not into that. God, God, listen. God delivered me from that a long time ago. I don't care anything about having a big clubhouse. Okay? I don't care anything about having a bunch of demons sitting in my pews. I don't care about I don't care about having goats sitting in my house. I want sheep. I want a pastor sheep. Not goats and not demons. So you can say, well, look how big a club he's got. And look at the new building they're building. Who cares about that? makes no difference to God or to me now if you have a bigger building if, if you're preaching the truth and you need a place to house them fine more power to you but that's not the key that's not what you're after 
That's not your purpose. And I'm telling you, people are going to be deceived. As the Bible said, there's going to be a great apostasy. A great falling away when the persecution hits. In Matthew 24, that unfaithful servant says, We're, you know, my Lord delays his coming. And so he goes out, he begins to smite his fellow brother, and he begins to eat and drink with the drunkard. He backslides. He backslides because he thinks Jesus didn't come and rapture him out. Like he was promised, there's going to be a rapture, and don't worry about it. My Lord delays his coming. Ah, okay. Well, I'll just go out and live like the world then. I'm telling you, that's why the Lord said he gave you some signs that precede the day of the Lord. And I'm not talking about the tribulation period. Sign number one, apostasy, a falling away. Number two, the antichrist, the man of sin would be revealed. And then that day would come. And the apostasy and the man of sin being revealed is in the seven-year tribulation period. And the wrath to come is beyond that. Okay? So he didn't promise us protection from the seven-year tribulation period. He promised us protection from his wrath. He didn't promise you protection from persecution or the Antichrist's wrath. He promised you protection from His wrath. These people have died in the will of God. And they're asking the question. Oh yes. How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? They're asking for God to pour out His wrath on these unbelievers. This term, those that dwell upon the earth, is mentioned nine times in the book of Revelation. The connection with them is the, they are the worshipers of the beast, basically. Okay? Go through the book of Revelation, get your concordance out, and look for the phrase, those that dwell upon the earth. And you're going to find out who the persecutors are. They are the worshipers of the beast. They are a part of his system. Okay? Praise the Lord. They are God haters. They are church haters. Just go and study it. I don't have time to give it all to you today. All right. So their persecutors are those that dwell on the earth. And when the word dwell on the earth means this, what it means is, is that there's a group of people that are earth dwellers. Yes, there is. Their whole life is focused in this earth. Their whole life is focused on what happens in this life. They, they're not getting ready for the life to come. They don't follow the Lord. They're just swept up in the now. They're swept up in this world. Oh, that's where their focus is. Earth dwellers. And, and it means a permanent mindset. They just refuse to focus on the future. They refuse to focus on the eternal. The heavenly. They only focus on the earth. And what's going on here. In contrast. To those who are willing to die. For what they haven't seen. Those who are willing to die. For the truth. In contrast. With those who say Jesus is Lord. In contrast. With their faithfulness to God. These people are unfaithful. They're earth dwellers. Do you understand? So we have a people that are so faithful to God. And so not attached to this world. 
that they are willing to die for what they believe and willing to, to die for the testimony of Jesus. Willing to die for the truth and the testimony of Jesus. So there's going to be a great test that's going to come upon the body of Christ, the, the saints of God. And there's going to be multitudes of people. And I pray that none of you here are a part of that people that are going to walk away from Christ. Because they're not willing to pay the price. See, we, we can check this out right now. You know, we can say, okay, well, I love Jesus. Are you living for him? I love Jesus, but you have a hard time going to church. I love Jesus. Hard time for you to give. I love Jesus. Hard time. You just, you understand what I'm trying to say? See, people say, I love Jesus, but they won't live for him. How can they say in the future, I love Jesus and die for him if they say, I love Jesus now and won't live for him? If you won't live for him, you will not die for him. It's impossible. Impossible. If you won't live for him, you will not die for him. God calls us to total commitment. Oh yeah. Even to the point of death. If it's needful. And so the Bible goes on. It says. So they're praying. How long. Uh, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth. And white robes were given unto every one of them. Say white robes. And it was said unto them that they should rest, say rest, yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So God says, you just rest here. You just wait here because there's some more of my people that are going to have to join you. There's some more of my people who have not yet been slain by the earth dwellers. That have to be slain by the earth dwellers. Before I can bring a completion to this. Yet to die. They are yet to die. Okay. God knows exactly how many they are. He's got them appointed. That's, that's a blessing to me. Uh, because if I ever get into this place. That I'm talking about here. This is going to help me. Because if I, I know that if I get put in prison and then I'm taken and I'm slain, beheaded for Christ in that future time. That I know that if it happens to me that God predetermined that I was supposed to. And that it was appointed by God. Just like when Jesus died on the cross, they couldn't take his life. He laid down his life. And if I'm, if I'm slain in the days to come for my walk with Christ and my, my truth, the truth I walk in, what I believe in Jesus. If I'm slain then, really, I, I'll have this same understanding. That you could not take my life if it was not appointed by God. If it was not given to you by God to take my life, you could not touch me. So it is my God who has entrusted me. entrusted me with martyrdom 
And he knew I would be willing to do it. He knew I would be willing to go that far. And he entrusted me with an appointment to martyrdom. Now, I don't know who he has appointed here if, if we're in that age. And I believe we are. I don't know who that is. You, you might, if the tribulation starts tomorrow, you may go through the whole seven years and not die physically. But if the tribulation starts tomorrow, you may be dead in that time frame. And you may wonder, well, why did brother get off and I didn't? Brother's still out there. I'm here in prison. The church is over in a cave somewhere and here I am fixing to die. Why are they in the cave and I'm fixing, I'm fixing to die? Because you've been appointed that by God. And either way you look at it, when they kill you, you are delivered. Because <laughs> there's more than one way, there's more than one way to get delivered. If they kill you, they, that's it. You're delivered, man. If you're not slain, then God will deliver you other ways, you know. Uh, give you the ability to escape from this and escape from that and provide for you in these, provide for you in that time. You know, that's one way he can deliver. But another way he can deliver is death. And that's final. But see, again, especially in America, uh, we want to save our neck, man. So we got to preach pre-trib, you know, and promise all the church that, hey, man, you're not going to experience any persecution and you're not going to experience any pain. You're going to be out of here. Well, these people right here were slain for the word of God. They are saints of God. Okay. They are his body in the tribulation period. And we're going to talk about who they are. And so he says to them was given white robes. Now symbolic. Of purity and faithfulness and righteousness. Okay. If you, and I'm going to show you some things this morning. It's going to, we're going to try to locate who these people are. Let's go to Revelation 2 and 3. Let's talk about the church. Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus speaks to the seven churches about this time. Called the Great Tribulation Period. He does not tell the church that the church is not going to be there. In Revelation 2 and 3, he shows the church in the earth at that time. Okay? He tells the church that there's a need for perseverance. Yes. There is a need to hold fast. Yes. How long? Unto the end. We've got to find out to the end what the end is. Okay? He tells them to hold fast. He tells them to persevere until the end. Through the tribulation period. Anticipating the coming kingdom of God. You with me here? This Revelation 2 and 3. These churches are not taken out before the tribulation starts. Jesus is speaking to them in the context of the great tribulation. Let's go. Revelation 2. Y'all with me here? Let's look at verse 7. Chapter 2. 
He's talking to the church in Ephesus here. He says, 2-7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh. So we're told that we have to overcome. We're going to have to persevere. We're going to have to hold fast to the end. But I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh. Who is it for? To him that overcometh. Will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That is a kingdom promise. Jesus sets up his kingdom after the seven year tribulation period. So he says, if you overcome, then he's given a promise to those who overcome. And that is that they will eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So what he's promising them is the new creation. When you're talking about the paradise of God, you're talking about the new creation. You're talking about the kingdom age. At the end of the seven-year tribulation period, thousand-year reign of Christ, followed by a new heavens and a new earth. He's promised them a new creation if they overcome. You with me here? He's promising them paradise. To who? The overcomer. All right? Are y'all okay out there? Verse 8. We talked to the church of Smyrna. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write these things. Smyrna means, uh, it comes from myrrh. It speaks of death. It speaks of persecution. It speaks of suffering. So now he talks to a suffering church. And he says, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation. With me here? And poverty. But thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tested. You shall have tribulation. You shall have tribulation. It was in the apostles' day. But this future tribulation period, this church is located in a time of tribulation. It says, be thou faithful unto death, just like those martyrs were there in in 6th chapter we read to you. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Be faithful unto death. And I'll give you a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. He didn't promise this church they wouldn't die physically. He said, if you overcome, you won't experience the lake of fire. That's the second death. I'm trying to show you something, friend. Not everybody's going to be in heaven. Overcomers are going to be there. If you overcome, you won't experience the second death. That's what he's promised you. And the second death is the lake of fire. That's when your spirit, your body is separated from God. 
Are y'all with me still? The church is Smyrna. Powerful. Then he talks to the church of Pergamos. The church of Pergamos. said, These things saith he which was a sharp sword, two edges. I know thy works, where thou dwellest, seen where Satan's seed is. Thou holdest fast my name. Thou hast not denied my faith. Even those days when Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. So Antipas was martyred in that time. There's going to be martyrdom in the future, according to Revelation 6. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitis, which thing I hate. We've already covered all these churches in detail. Verse 16, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly. Say come. And will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So he's talking to a church that's going to see his second coming. Watch. Do you see that? I know we don't want to see that. But do you see that? Repent or else I will come on thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Wow. So his coming. You with me here? You got to stay faithful all the way to his coming. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone. And remember, I taught you that the white stone is what they gave victors. Victors, overcomers. They would, in Roman days, they would give a victor a white stone. It was an invitation to a feast. So the people who are invited here are overcomers. They're given a white stone, an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb when He comes. And I'm telling you, this is the church He's talking to. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that received it. Okay, so we have the coming of the Lord here. We have those that are going to receive a white stone. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, his feet like unto fire of eyes. I know thy works in charity, service, faith, and thy perseverance, your patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. So there we have a church that's going to be in great tribulation. And it's not just the unbelieving church. That's going to be cast into great tribulation. Let me prove it to you. Except you repent. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches. Shall know that I am he. Which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you. According to your works. He said when this church is cast into the great tribulation period. He said all the churches are going to recognize her unfaithfulness what the Lord is trying to show you is there's going to come a time in the tribulation period 
When you can identify the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, the church of Pergamos, the church of Thyatira. The church of Philadelphia, the church of Laodicea, all the churches, you can identify and say, that person in the church of Ephesus, they've got the spirit of Ephesus. They've got the spirit of Smyrna. They've got the spirit of Pergamos. They've got the spirit of Thyatira. And you will be able to judge where people are. And the, connect, and the time frame is in the great tribulation period. All churches are going to be able to look at that woman in the great tribulation period and know what happened to her. Because she was unfaithful. You see that? It doesn't just say that the Thyatira church is going to be in the great tribulation period. It says all churches are going to witness and going to see what happens to her. And it's connected to the great tribulation period. But unto you I say unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden. But that which you have already hold fast till I come. Now here's what I want you to see. Again, the word come is used there. Until hold fast, hold fast. In the same church he talks about persevering. He talks about holding fast. He talks to these churches about overcoming in the context of tribulation, in the context of great tribulation. And then he says, hold fast till I come. And the word come there in the Greek is heko. And that literally means having already arrived. He said, you've got to hold fast. You've got to persevere. You've got to overcome until I visibly have already arrived. That word heko, heko there in the Greek is a word that's connected with his second coming back to the earth. And he's telling this church, this church and all these other churches, they've got to persevere, they've got to overcome, they've got to hold fast until his coming. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Now for those of you who are with us when we were teaching in the chapters before that, we went through every word, heko, perusia, okoma, epiphania, ephaneru, in the Greek. All those words that talk about his second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. All those words, and they were connected to his literal, visible second coming to the earth at the end of the tribulation period, including the word heko. So God is in the context of the tribulation period and the great tribulation period. He's telling the people to overcome. He's telling them to persevere. He's telling them to hold fast until he comes, until he has arrived completely. It's not just a spiritual coming here. This is his literal coming that it's talking about. We've already proved that by the word of God. The church is seen in the earth all the way up to his second coming. And it's seen in Revelation 6 as having been martyred. Okay? Verse 25. But that which you have already, hold fast till I come. So you see the great tribulation here. You see the churches is witnessing what happens to the church of Thyatira in the great tribulation period. And he tells the overcomers and those that hold fast and those that persevere. He says, hold fast until I have arrived completely. 
See, if we're pre-trib, we, we, we want to do something with that. We, 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 you know, we want to talk about something totally different than his second coming to the earth. We don't want to see the church in the tribulation. We don't want to see the church in the last three and a half years, great tribulation. But hello, church. If we would get rid of our preconceived views and, and things we've been taught and things we've been, that we've read, if we just read the Bible in the context of the seven-year tribulation period to come, he's telling the church to overcome, persevere, and hold fast. Hello. Truth will set you free. Now watch. Now, hold fast. <clears throat> but uh, that which you have, verse 25, already hold fast till I echo come. Have arrived. It's a completed act. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. End. What end are we talking about? You have to go to the word of God to define the word the end. Matthew 24. Jesus, the disciples ask him. What shall be the sign of thy coming? And the end of the age. You've got to hold fast to the end. You've got to overcome to the end. So let's define what the end is. Go to Matthew 24 first. Let me show you even there Jesus talked about the coming persecution in the tribulation period. Matthew 24. We'll start there with verse 13. Matthew 24, 13. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. You got that? Okay. Back up to verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So this parallels Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. There's that apostasy. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So we have the coming persecution there. And God says again to this same he says it again. Jesus saying it. He said, you've got to endure to the end. That's exactly what he told the churches. Revelation 2 and 3. You've got to endure to the end. You've got to endure to my coming. You've got to stay faithful. You've got to persevere. You've got to overcome. Unto the end. And so Jesus warns the persecuted to stay faithful to the end. Now what end are we talking about? Go to Matthew 13. The parables of the kingdom. Again, relating to the church and the kingdom of God, Matthew 13. And we're going to start there in verse 39. Verse 39. He says, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world or the end of the age. Say the end. 
The harvest is at the end. Got it? And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this age. So the end is when the tares are gathered to be burned. When it says to endure to the end, he's saying endure to a time when the tares are gathered to be burned. What happens, he says in verse 41, the son of man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom. So you have the destruction of the wicked and the salvation of the righteous. You have the burning up of the wicked, the tares. And you have God taking into his barn the righteous. And they are seen as shining as the sun in his kingdom. So the end is when Jesus comes back and, and <clears throat> judges the earth, destroys it by fire, sets up the kingdom. You with me here? You see the relationship of the kingdom of God and the judgment by fire. You see that? Do you see that the Bible says in verse 39, says the enemy that sought them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels and therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of this age. Look at that. Son of man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. And them which do iniquity. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be waiting in the national peace. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, let's go to Peter. Let's talk about this fiery judgment. This is the day of the Lord. When you talk about, when I say the end, when the Bible says the end, you are talking about the end of the tribulation period when God comes in fiery judgment and brings in the day of the Lord and then sets up his kingdom. And we are told to persevere that point. We are told to persevere, persevere through the seven-year tribulation period where we're told to overcome, we're told to hold fast until he comes. We are told to hold fast to the end, overcome to the end. The end is that fiery judgment of God. Now watch this. Go to 2 Peter. Praise the Lord. Second Peter. Hey, watch. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. You there? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief. What's coming as a thief? The day of the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. In which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up 
So the time, the term end, the time of the end or enduring to the end is when Jesus comes back in fiery judgment at his second coming. That's the marking point that God is saying the church has to persevere and hold fast and overcome unto. To be faithful to that point. Knowing that he's going to judge the wicked. And knowing he's going to take the righteous into his kingdom. To that point. When he's coming back to judge and setting up his earthly kingdom. He's going to take the righteous into the kingdom. And he's going to burn the tares up. And it's in connection with the day of the Lord. And that's what he's saying. To the church. That they have to endure to. Do you understand these things? Let's go over. Let's back up in in, uh, Peter here. I pray you're getting this, okay? Of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. 1 Peter 4, 7. In light of the end, he says, be sober and watch unto prayer. You with me here? Go to, he- go to 1 Corinthians. Back up to 1 Corinthians 1. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 1. I'm having to come to a close here. But 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7 and 8. And then we'll go to Hebrews 3. 1 Corinthians 1, 7. Are you there? If you don't have it, you can look up on the wall. So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Who shall also confirm you unto the end. That you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the day of the Lord. Those that he's going to confirm unto the end are those that have persevered, those that have overcome, and those that have held fast. And the end again is in connection with the day of the Lord and the coming of Jesus Christ. Are you seeing this? He defines for me what the end is. It's not pre-tribulational. It's all the way through the seven-year tribulation period to his heko, to his second coming when he comes in fiery judgment and then takes us into the kingdom. And it's only those people who have overcome and persevered and held fast that he will confirm unto the end. Go to Hebrews 3. Hebrews chapter 3. New Testament. Hebrews 3. Let's look at verse 6. Is this opened up some of your eyes? Hebrews 3, 6. Watch this. But Christ, as a son over his own house, 
whose house are we? Watch this. If we hold fast. Again, he says the same thing in the book of Revelation concerning the churches. You are his house if you hold fast. The confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So I've already, we've already defined for you what the end is. It's in connection with the day of the Lord. Okay? He says, you've got to hold fast to the very end if you're going to be a part of his house. Amen. Are y'all still there? Okay. Let me just finish this out. Harden not your hearts as in the propagation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. This is verse 9 of chapter 3. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. What did he tell to the martyrs? Rest here for a little while. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold, hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Chapter 6, Hebrews 6. Did I just read? No, Hebrews 6, okay. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to find the verses here. Verse 11. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful. Yes. But followers of them who through faith and perseverance inherit the promises. Amen. Y'all still there? This is just about as clear as it gets. 1 Corinthians 1, 7 through 8, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 6, talks about to the end. Okay, let's go back to the book of Revelation. I'm going to have to close with this. Praise God.
Thank you, Jesus. Go back to chapter 2. Let's do this. 2. But that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. To him will I give power over the nations. That is a kingdom promise. That's a kingdom age promise. The kingdom age is beyond the seven year tribulation period. Look. Look with me. Seven year tribulation period. Followed by the kingdom of God. Jesus comes back. Destroys the antichrist. Second coming of Jesus. After the tribulation period. Then sets up his kingdom. Where he rules for a thousand years. Israel is the head of the nations. Etc. So he promises the overcomer here. Power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a part of that. Uh, shall they be broken to shivers. Even as I receive of my father. I will give him the morning star. And the morning star is to be caught up. He that hath an ear. Let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. He promises to catch you up. And then he promises you rulership in the kingdom. Thanks. Are y'all with me here? Now, sometime when you get a chance, read Revelation 2 and 3. You're going to see one of the churches, and I, I don't have time to find it for you. But he talks about giving them a white robe. And he's talking to the church when he says it. He said, I'm going to gi- I'll give you a white robe if you overcome. Revelation 6, 9, 11, we see martyrs who are given white robes. We see Jesus speaking to them and said, there's still people that, need to, that are going to die. Just rest, he says, until that time. Now, let's, let's find out something about the white robe, and I'm going to close. Who are these people? Well, in Revelation 2 and 3, to one of the churches, it's to an overcomer. All right? In Revelation 7, go there, please. Verse, verse 13. Chapter 7 follows chapter 6. We're in chapter 6 right now, talking about the martyrdom. Chapter 7 follows it. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? Who? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away the tears from theirs. So we see a group of people who have white robes, who came out of great tribulation. Go to 13th chapter of Revelation. In fact, as we go through the Bible in the book of Revelation, you're going to see that chapter 12 and 13 specifically deal with the persecution to come in detail. What I have to do is give you foundation things. And then, just like the Bible does, gives you the, he gives you a general overview of prophecy. Then he talks about the persecution of the saints. Then he talks about the second coming of Jesus, the destruction of the Antichrist, and the setting up of the kingdom. That's the way the book of Revelation. That's the way he did it in Matthew 24. That's the way he did it in Daniel 7. That's the way he does it in the book of Revelation. General overview of prophecy. Persecution of the church. 
destruction of the Antichrist, second coming of Jesus, and the setting up of the kingdom. Okay, you with me here? Chapter 13. What's this? Verse 6. He opened his mouth and blasphemed against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. It was given unto him to make war with the saints. Who? It was given unto him to make war with the saints. We're talking about the Antichrist here. And to overcome them. And power was given unto him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So there's those earth dwellers again. They are worshipers of the beast. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. God says the saints are going to be given into his hands. And he is going to kill them. And that's when you're going to have to exercise patience. That's when you're going to have to hold fast. That's when you're going to have to endure to the end. It's in the context of the tribulation. Jesus said it in Matthew 24, 13 through, or 9 through 13. He said it to the church in Revelation 2 and 3. He's saying it to us. Okay? And, and the Lord knows it's going to be hard. That's why he talks about perseverance. And that's why he talks about overcoming. That's why he talks about uh, um, holding fast. In the context of the great persecution that's going to come from the Antichrist upon his, his people. But thanks be to God. People are going to make it through that time. And they're going to be clothed in the white robes. In the kingdom. In the kingdom. Praise the Lord. Revelation 14, 12. Hmm. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Amen. In connection with verse 9, he said, The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb the smoke of their torment is sent up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name here is the patience of the saints who are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Knowing that for those who are taking that mark. They are sentenced into hell forever. And that is the patience. That, that, that knowledge will keep you going on with God. And even to the point of death. And a point all the way to the end. Knowing what's going to happen to the earth dwellers. Knowing once they take that mark. And no, knowing once they begin to worship the beast. That their destiny is the lake of fire. Here is the patience of the saints. Daniel chapter 7. Last scripture. I'm, I don't have time to do anything else this morning. But Daniel 7. Daniel chapter 7. Go there. 
as we close. If there is anything in here that I've taught you this morning that, that you see a contradiction in what I've taught you with the Word of God, come to me and show it to me. I don't, I don't see it. I don't believe the church has promised a pre-trib rapture. I believe that God has told us that what we've got to overcome, persevere, and hold fast to all the way to the end is to the, to the end when He comes back and judges the wicked and sets up His kingdom. That's what I believe God's Word is saying. If you think that you can disprove that, please, by all means, show me where this is not accurate because I want the truth. Amen. I'm not trying to present my position. I'm trying to present to you the Word of the living God. Okay, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7. Thank you, Jesus. Let's start with verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body. Now, what am I doing? Daniel 7 gives you an overview of prophecy, persecution of the saints, destruction of the beasts, and the second coming of Jesus, setting up his kingdom. Matthew 24, the same uh, system is, is applied. In Revelation, the same thing is applied. Okay, so he says in verse 6, I came near unto them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. The ten horns that were in his hand, and of the other, which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld the same horn made war with the saints. This horn is the Antichrist. Made war with who? The saints. And prevailed against them. Unto when? The end. Watch this. Until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given unto the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. It don't get any clearer than that, man. And I challenge you to take your preconceived ideas and thinking about what's going to happen. And throw it out the door. And, and get into the Word of God. Because that's what I've had to do. Because I was pre-tribulational for over 20 years of my ministry. You've got to get in the Word of the Lord and find out what the Bible says. Okay? And I love y'all so much, and I pray that we'll be ready. Amen. Oh, okay, one last scripture. Let's go to Matthew 24, and I'm going to show you the significance of what I've taught you. Matthew 24, let's start with verse 42. Matthew 24. <clears throat> Starting there with verse 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come. Oh yeah. You got it? 
in what watch the thief would come. When Jesus comes as a thief in the night, that's the day of the Lord. Second Peter 3, we showed it to you. Okay? He would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made him ruler over his household? To give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart. My Lord delayeth his coming. And shall begin to smite his fellow servants. And to eat and drink with the drunkard. The Lord of that servant. Shall come in, the, in a day when he looketh not for him. And in an hour that he is not aware of. And he shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the person who did not persevere, who did not hold fast, and who did not overcome to the end. And what is his judgment? The lake of fire. And God is talking about the same servant. So the point is this. You will be a servant that is faithful to the end, or you will be a servant who is unfaithful. To be faithful means you, you uh, embrace the kingdom and the reward that's there and with Christ, with Christ forever. To be unfaithful means that you will be judged by the Lord and you will join the rest of the earth dwellers. And I don't want to be that. And, and I, got, I got news for you. You don't have to do it. You don't have to fall away. Don't let the enemy ever tell you that you'll never make it. You can't make it. Don't let the devil tell you that other people will be faithful, persevere, and be patient to the end, but not you. Don't let the enemy tell you that. You choose. That's why he said overcome. You choose to overcome. You choose to persevere. You choose to hold fast to the end. Or you choose to be unfaithful. The choice is with you. The enemy doesn't have power over you to take your choice. See, I'm, you know, if you make up your mind, no matter what, you're going to live for the Lord. No matter what comes, no matter what happens, even death. There is no devil in hell can stop you. There's no man that can stop you because death is final. When they try to stop you to the point of death, they cut your head off, man. That's it. So even death doesn't even sever your relationship with Christ. Awesome, man. I just love the word. I just love the word. He's just, it's awesome. It's just right there for us, you know. Beautiful, exciting. And, and the last thing I'm going to say is this right here. There's one little thing that I have a question about that I don't have an answer for yet. One thing. If the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, the wrath of God is on Israel. And then at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, we have the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And then following that, the bowls of wrath, a global wrath of God, the day of the Lord, fiery judgment of God. If the three and a half years, the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period is the wrath of God on Israel, 
We have already seen we're not spared from worldwide persecution. We know that as a church. And that's not the wrath of God. My question that I'm wrestling with right now is the fourth seal of Revelation 6 says a fourth part of the earth are affected. Didn't get that, did you? A fourth part of the earth is affected. The fourth seal is the beginning of the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. And it says that there's going to be death and hell. There's going to, it's going to be, you know, by death, by sword, by pestilence, famine, uh, pestilence, etc. It's going to affect a fourth part of the earth. The word earth there, does that mean the global earth? That a quarter of the whole globe is going to be affected by that fourth seal? Or is that just talking about the earth in relationship to Israel? Another question I have is that the global wrath of God is post-tribulational. The global wrath of God. My next question is when you get to the trumpet judgments, when those trumpet judgments are sounded, again God gives you the scope. And He says a third of this, a third of the earth, a third of the earth, a third of the earth. Is that global or is that just locally on Israel? Is the wrath of God just on Israel the last three and a half years? But affecting the world globally, a third or a quarter? That's a question I have to answer. That's where I am right now, okay? And it simply, without confusing you too much, it just simply has to do with the scope of the judgment in connection with the fourth seal, middle of the tribulation period, and those seven trumpets, the seventh year of the tribulation period is when they fall and their scope. Because it seems to me like that it's talking about that it's larger than just Israel. That it's a quarter of the earth and a third of the earth and a third of the earth and a third of the earth. Do you understand? So I've got to make sure about the scope of the wrath of God in the last three and a half years. And the scope of the wrath of God beyond that. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? There's no contradiction in the Bible. No contradiction in the Bible. None whatsoever. Okay? It's just these little things that I as a pastor, you know, you probably don't even care. I don't know. But, but I as a pastor think about things like that. Okay? Because for me to get up and say, okay, the last three and a half years, that's just on Israel. And that's the wrath of God on Israel. And then after the tribulation period, you've got the global wrath of God upon all the world then. And that's the day of the Lord wrath. And that's not what we won't go through that. We'll be protected from that. And we'll be raptured from that. Okay? And then I back up and I look. Wow, that fourth seal. That's the beginning of three and a half year tribulation period. It talks about a quarter of the earth being affected. See, I don't know if you're following my train of thought here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let's stand. Yeah, y'all just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> y'all just pray for your pastor, okay? Because when you get into prophetic things, every you got to pay attention to every detail. You got to pay attention to every comma. You got to pay attention to every dot. Okay. Everything, everything is significant. Everything, garments, words, all those things are significant. Everything is significant. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't have all the answers. All right? Woo! Praise God. How y'all going to prepare? You're going to be prepared. 
Well, first thing you got to do is you got to get in the kingdom of God. Acts 2.38 tells you how. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Once you get born again, then you get in the kingdom of God. If you're not in the kingdom of God, you're lost right now anyway. But you got to get in the kingdom of God and then be faithful and patient and persevere and, and hold fast and overcome after you get in the kingdom of God. You, you don't even need to worry about that right now. You're not in the kingdom. And I'm not talking about being a church person. I'm not talking about being raised in church. I'm not even talking about being religious. I'm talking about genuine new birth of the water and the spirit as recorded in the book of Acts. As preached by the apostles. I was raised in church all my life. Was lost and more lost than most people that are in the world. Because I wasn't ever born again. I love you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you right now for your awesome word today. We ask God that you would take this word, apply it to the hearts of your saints. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. And God, for those who are not yet in the kingdom, I believe, God, that you're drawing them into the truth. And I thank you, God, just as you gave, each, gave me an opportunity and others opportunities to come into your kingdom. In these last days, you're going to bring souls into the kingdom of God. And people who will be genuine, faithful saints of God all the way to the end. And Lord, no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, help us, God, by your word to overcome, to be dedicated, to be faithful, to hold fast, to persevere, to overcome. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Again, it's good to have all of our guests with us this morning. Hope you come back tonight. 5.30 prayer, 6 o'clock service. Okay? Amen.